Hey guys, welcome to another Swish Woolhead podcast episode. Unfortunately, the Tasman Marco season is now over, but that does mean I will be able to get an episode out every Monday again until the end of season three. A massive shout out to Swish for still supporting the podcast, even though coaching commitments had to come first. Very grateful to them. So go and support Swish by getting yourself or your mate your very own personalised video from one of your favourite sports stars. And with the Women's Rugby World Cup around the corner, it's an awesome time to get one from one of our Blackfern legends like Portia Woodman, Ruby Tui, or even the great Waterlad guest Kendra Coxedge. Remember that up to 70% of the proceeds do go to Kiwi Kids Charities and that if you use the code Waterlad, you can get $15 off your order. So go get amongst that. Also, the great Pomeroy's Coffee have created the perfect coffee bean for any lad and has packaged it up as Waterlad Coffee. Freshly roasted here in Nelson, you can even go and watch them get roasted at the Coffee Factory in Stoke if that's your thing. These are the best coffee beans in the market. They're available in whole bean or espresso or a plunger and you can get 20% off your order by using the code LAD03. I'll leave a link in the description for easy access. So go get yourself your very own Waterlad coffee. Also, one of New Zealand's best harness trainers, Regan Todd from Todd's Racing, have an opportunity of a lifetime for you to own your very own piece of Waterlad in the form of the soon-to-be champion horse, Waterlad. This guy looks a real treat and looks to have all the speed of his dad, Lazarus. I'm hoping to get behind him soon so I can really feel the speed in the sulky. If you're interested, flick me a message on Instagram or if horse ownership's not your thing, at least go follow Todd's Racing on Facebook, where he will give you an insight to his weekly runners. Anyway, grateful to all our sponsors, but let's get to this episode. Oh, what a lad. Well, it's not often you get someone who has literally died on the field while playing a game of rugby, but today that all changes. Today's guest is a legend of the South. He starred with the Southland Stags and the Highlanders for many years. He also spent some time over in Wales with the Newport Dragons, a brief stint in Melbourne with the Rebels, and of course he played for the New Zealand Maldives. On top of that, he's also coached the Stags, Honda Heat in Japan, and he's now currently coaching the Tasman Marco. He is a seriously good lad. It is Hawani McDonald. Welcome, Hoon. Thank you very much. What a what an intro, <laughs> mate. Is this your first podcast? Very first. Is it, mate? Yeah. I was trying to find a podcast on you to sort of do a little bit of, you know, research. But first podcast with a story like yours—that's incredible. Oh nah. pleasure to be here, mate. Your story, like literally dying on the field. You'd think you'd almost think a movie's been made out of, <laughs> out of it so far. No, it was, it's a funny thing, rugby. Like, time's moved on. Even the boys this year coaching them had no idea until yeah. kind of a few whispers went around. They're kind of like, "What's going on?" Yeah. So it's uh, but it's it's awesome how rugby just kind of just flows, eh? It just yeah, moves. mate, it does move quickly, eh? Like you were a legend what five years ago, and now no one knows you. A legend, <laughs> legend. <laughs> but nah, it's it's um nah, it's it's a cool game. Like I even talked to the to the boys about like past players. Yeah. Past being like five years ago, and they wouldn't have a clue who who you're talking about. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Some of these like young kids, like the you know Noah Hotham's and stuff. Eh? Like you ask them, oh, do you know Jonah Lomu or something? You're like, oh, not really. Like, how do you not know this guy? That's it. That's it. Mel Meninga. I remember I asked someone the other day, or oh, Mel Meninga, and they're like, who's that? And they're like, <laughs> I don't know Mel Meninga. 
No, you, you, you're used by pretty quick, eh? But let's get let's start from the start with you, Hoon. I know you know so many people. You're a you got a massive family. Um, did you where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, in Chicago, um, but my dad was I had a massive family in Blenheim. So oh yeah. So that's how we ended up back here with all the with all the fun out there. And your dad, it was a massive family. Eh? What was it? How many kids? How many uh, uh, siblings did he have? He was one of twenty one. Twenty one. So, yeah, so it gets pretty. The net goes pretty wide. So, <laughs> so I think we've got over a hundred first cousins. True. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. What was it about? About his, um, he had twenty one kids, but seventeen were worth. Well, because uh, my granddad had two wives, so yeah. sisters. So he had his first with the forfeit of the first wife, and then. 17 with the second, but the second wife was just so my my grandmother's sister was looking after the kids, so she, yeah. yeah. And just yeah. fell in love. Yeah. That's crazy, yeah. Oh, eh? mate, it's madness. <laughs> it's cool, though. It's really, really cool, but you kind of walk around Blenheim and it's, like, everyone's your cousin, like, I wouldn't even know. Yeah. So, like, and it's, it's kind of crap, because I grew up down south, but all my cousins up there, they know everyone. Is, like, Corner McDonald any relation? Yeah, so I think our grandparents... A sibling, so my grandfather and I think his grand grandfather siblings. Oh, yeah. Would you know all your cousins? No. No, no chance. No chance. True. And how many um siblings have you got? Um so I'm one of well my, my dad was kinda of saying what my granddaddy he had uh, seven and then seven of the first wife and then my mum three with us, so he's True. got ten and yeah, so the it just keeps going and going <laughs> and going. It's madness. And where do you sit on it? Middle the, child of the three? No, nah, I'm the baby. Oh, baby. Yeah. True. Yeah, so I've got two older sisters, but then I've got four older brothers and three other sisters, so. And did you all live together, all grow up together? Nah, no. so so we moved down south, so oh, yeah. we were down south. The three of you, you and your two yeah. sisters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but then a couple of my brothers moved down there too, so we, I kind of grew up with them. Oh, yeah. But they're a bit older than me, so it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, I've got nieces and nephews that are older than me and stuff yeah. like this, and every time we have a few drinks or something like that, if I'm getting a bit cheeky, I start getting called uncle. Or whatever, so, <laughs> it's all good. so how did you get into footy and when did that all start? Um, I was a bit of a late boomer, really. Um, I, I grew up playing basketball and other sports. And then um, it's about 15 I started playing rugby. Uh, and that was just because the boys at school were talking about rugby on Saturday, so I oh, thought yeah. I'd give it a crack. And then yeah, I was I was tall and I could jump. And back then you couldn't lift and line out, so... The old first thing coach the year come on in and sure we went. Were you good at basketball? Oh, well, yeah, hey, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I played I played rec basketball from about seventeen um, for Southland um, for the men's senior men's and then kind of went up made the New Zealand divisional team. And stuff like, yeah, so oh, it was, was it? It was, it was awesome. It's it's a cool game. I still try to play as much as I can. Cause yeah, I can't play rugby. So, but yeah, I played basketball right through. Even when I was playing rep for the Stags and stuff, I oh, still yeah. play A-grade basketball and all sure. that down home. Was that sort of your dream at the time, to become a... Oh, yeah, 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 big time. So there was, well, we had a really good group of mates that we got coached by the same coach and taught us all how to play really good basketball. So all of us all kind of hung out and the dream yeah. was to head over to the States and, you know, but, yeah. It's just what really stopped it? Do you reckon you cut off if you went hard? Yeah, nah, nah, not no, nah, nah. Would have probably been able to play EBL or something like that, but yeah, rugby kind of, kind of just took over early twenties. But I was still playing, still playing. Like I'd play club in the morning, senior seniors at night, or representing basketball at night. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was good fun, and I think 
you know, looking back, that was probably how I became a professional rugby player, I reckon. Yeah. Like, like a lot of the skills on it basketball. Mate, load management or? <laughs> None of that. None of that. Oh, well, like, I'll, yeah, it cracks me up. Load management, you know. Oh, I get it. But, mate, we were playing, I was playing four games of basketball a week and a game of rugby on Saturdays. Yeah. And training twice twice a night, yeah. every night. You kind of just. No soft tissue injuries. Nah, just come attuned to it, I reckon, eh? <laughs> my, my legs are so skinny, mate, that I don't think I ever had a soft tissue injury. <laughs> so, when did rugby take over and it started to become the, the main thing? So I didn't play any age grade. I went to a small school in, in Invercargill, so there was no age grade footy or anything like that. Um, I played South and Reps and stuff, but in terms of New Zealand, that. Nah. And then I went to Varsity, and then when I was playing Varsity, or when I was at Varsity, um, once I finished, I got an opportunity to, to play for the Stags then, and that's what started the ball rolling. So I'd done that season, then was I made the Highlands development, and then ended up being a replacement player for the Hondas oh, yeah. after. And then after that, so I played the game for the Hondas. It was, it's pretty special. And then got the phone call for New Zealand Maldives. They were going over to Canada a couple of weeks later and I was so You're in it. Yeah. Far out. Yeah. Did you feel comfortable? Or how do you feel going into those environments? Nah. Nah, not a lot of nah, not really. The the reason I felt a bit at ease with it is because uh, when I went up to the Hondas the first time I was with Clark and Daniel Quaid and a few of the boys from down south, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. I was in the, they just put me in the flat with them. And so they were kind of running me through. And uh, that experience was, was unreal. <laughs> Living with them. Oh, no, just that whole, <laughs> the whole, you know, when you get that phone call to say, oh, I need you to come up to Dunners. Yeah. Because we've got a couple of injuries or, you know. Yeah. And I was just like punching the steering wheel <laughs> in the car because I was talking in the car. I was just like so pumped. Then got up there. And then um, Clark and them, so I'm super excited. And Clark, who's younger than me, he's been in that environment a couple of years, so he's kind of just tempering me down. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, went up to Auckland for a game, and shit, a few of the boys went down quite early. And I'm like, I'm looking at Clark, he's looking at me like, oh shit, you're, you're <laughs> on here. And I was like, oh, got out there, and you know, you're playing against those guys you've been watching on TV, yeah. you know, Case Muses and the like, and giving me alarm and all this, Doug Howlett. And it was just, yeah. just unreal, eh? And obviously went pretty well. Um, well, I only played well one half, and then um, and then after that, New Zealand Māori getting selected, and they kind of go on that ranking system. So, and then one of the boys, they were going to Canada, and one of the boys had a had a charge oh, against yeah. them. Oh, true. So couldn't I, go. I, yeah, couldn't go. <laughs> so I was like, then I got the phone call from Matt Tapo, and the game pumped. But I think me and me and Jake Paranatai. We're the only non-super rugby players there, really. Yeah. And, um, oh, it was just amazing. What is it like in that environment? Hear different stories, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, back then it was, like, really social, but the boys, yeah, like, so it was really social, but once you step over the line, the boys were on. Mm. And it was, like, and uh, keeping each other really accountable, get off the field, and then there's a guitar straight away, and mm. you're on, and it's... So they had to, they had a really good balance, and um, but it was just like fun, you know. Like rugby was fun. The rugby mm. we played was fun. Um, they kind of wasn't like there was a bit of structure, but man, if guys see see a half a get, then they're going for it, and mm. everyone's kind of running off themselves. Mm. It was really good. For, as a young guy going in, I just got told just get out there and just get busy. So yeah. it was awesome. And it was sort of all your teams you played for the Stags, Highlanders, the Maldives, 
Um, all those teams seem to have a pretty good balance of um, fun off the field as well, especially going from some of the stories from the likes of Newby and Elliot Dixon and these sort of guys. Sounds like both those um, environments are pretty um, – there's plenty of stories that happen off the field. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a bit happens off the field. It's, it's <laughs> good fun. Oh, really good fun. And then uh, oh, like really fond memories of my times with the, with the Hondas and the Stags and, and the Maldives and – and any team, like I was, but I suppose any team you play for, there's a certain level of fun that you know, has to be yeah, had off the yeah. field, you know. Um, Heap of young guys in an environment like that, you know, like there's bound to be a few laughs. But it was like, mate, we had some really good times down in the south. Mm. Like, that is real good times. Any stand out for you? Um, you would have had a few Shield successes and stuff, did you? Nah, no, no, I missed, missed that, eh? Oh. I missed I went over to Wales. Oh, niggly. Was, yeah, it was a bit <laughs> niggly. We had one opportunity, we played Auckland and we kind of, we should have won. Right, my feeling we should have won. We kind of cocked it up, but um, the year I went to Wales, um, the boys went up to Christchurch and got the job done. And it, oh, like even me, I was sitting there watching it online, and mm. well, you know, it was really, really special. And I was rang up the coaches and was just so pumped for them yeah. and the team, and oh, it's wicked. But before that, uh, we just used to like just have a lot of fun. And what I noticed most was there was never really any trouble. Mm. But I think, mate, there was no camera phones either. So <laughs> Harder guys, to get caught. Oh, the guys weren't silly enough. To, I don't know. I understand why guys kind of record all that stuff and yeah. post it. Seems a bit odd, but yeah, some <laughs> of the stuff that the boys got up to, you know, you're like, you can't do that anymore, mate. So why'd you go to Wales? What was it? Um, I don't know. Like it was just an opportunity to go. We uh, I was gonna I was gonna bit on. Partner wanted to get out of Invercargill, yeah. So it's just to go see the world because you know she's been with me for the whole time I was playing rugby. So it was about six, seven years, and mm. we're just kind of going from Dunedin, and we we're kind of unsettled because you go live for four, four, five months in yeah, you get Dunedin. Sick of it, eh? Yeah, and so um, so she was pretty keen to go over, and so and I was keen to go have a look around too. So opportunity came up, and away we went, and oh, I was awesome, eh? Living mm. over in the UK, travel, and just experiencing different. Different environments is good. Were you ever close to being an All Black? I, I got a trial. I got injured, but I was um, unavailable for a trial. They had a trial in 2005 before the Lions tour, and so I, I was meant to trial on that. Um, and then I got the next year, I made the New Zealand the Junior All Blacks. Oh, yeah. So I made that team, um, but I got rung up. Yeah, I'm in the mix, and I think. Yeah, I didn't get sold the dream, but I thought, oh shit, this could happen. So yeah. I kind of hung around yeah. for a couple of years, and in hindsight, you know, you've got to pick your moments, and that might have been the time to, to take off. But I, I don't regret it. I love playing with those the junior All Blacks team. Was we yeah. had a rock star team. Yeah, rock star team was so much fun. And then when you moved to Wales, how did you find it over there? I was. It was different. It was different. I was just. I suppose the same. Uh, you go to different cultures, and they just train differently there. Ethos is different. We were kind of the poor cousins of, of Welsh yeah. rugby. <laughs> yeah. So it was quite interesting. Our training facilities and stuff weren't it was quite strange. You know, we were training on like a, about a three quarter field. <laughs> it, was, it was really weird in the middle of a kind of cycling village run. So why'd you go to Newport? Like, what was the deciding factor to head to that club? Um, oh, no, that, that was the opportunity that came up. And I suppose, you know, like uh, at that stage, um, we wanted to go over to Europe. And you know, it was pretty much gone, you know, to where the money was, yeah. And that was the best deal on offer for like two plus one. 
And then, um, but I got rung up pretty quickly by uh, Paul Tito. He said, Hawaii don't, don't live in Newport, <laughs> live in Cardiff. And I was like, sure it is, yeah, don't live in Newport. Yeah. And when I got there, I could see why it was pretty, it's a pretty, pretty rough old So you lived in Cardiff? I lived in Cardiff, oh, out the Cardiff Bay, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it was, so it was a bit of a commute, so we had about 45-minute commute every morning. Uh, I lived with a couple of lads that was also playing with, um, or in the same apartment complex with a couple of lads who were playing in Newport. Oh, right, yeah. We and Tom Willis and Ben Castle, all those boys were there too. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so we just, that was pretty much the reason why. In the Newport, but I wouldn't have it any other way. He's going mm. there now. Mm. I, was, I made some really great mates that you know, I still keep in touch with now. And on the field, was there a massive difference? Yeah, yeah, it was slower. Eh? Like um, we played that Super Rugby season. I left. It was it was like pretty much any infringement at the ruck was yeah. just a free kick. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it was just tap and go playing Super Rugby. So you're kind of always on the go. So and so as soon as you hear a whistle, you start kind of running yeah. or getting back. And then got over there, and then there was a trial they do in New Zealand. Got over there, and I was like, whistle, and I'm just kind of, go, 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 go. I was saying they're, they're slowing it down, kick it kick it to the corner or whatever. But um, So it was a lot slower, that's what I felt. But the way that they trained over there too was was different. There was pre-season, not much fitness going on. It was all weights. They just wanted to be bigger. And so it was, it was just a different game that they played. Did it suit your style or not really? Uh, no, nah, well, it didn't. It didn't the first year because I was a lot fitter. But then in the second, my second year, they just kept trying to make me get bigger. Mm. And then I was so I was kind of saying, oh, I need to be fitter. That's my game isn't yeah. the power game. It's about being a bit more loose or a bit more agile. Yeah. And they were kind of, no, we we want you to be big. So they put me on all this this program and eating all this food and shit. And I just so I started doing my own running. Yeah. And then the trainer caught me. Caught you running, yeah. And they said, nah, can't do that." So I was, I just kept trying to just get any running I can. And after training, start doing extra sessions and stuff. And he's yeah. like, "Nah." And uh, so my second year, I didn't really enjoy it that much, but still, they run you out there every week um, in Wales. So it was, it was a good experience, but it was pretty tough at times too, really. Yeah. And did did you feel like you learnt heaps as a as a rugby player? Obviously, different styles. Are eh? you you sort of into your own sort of bubble here in New Zealand until you go experience different um, different styles of play? Yeah. Oh, big time. And, then, and that's what I had to get my head around was, I think coming from New Zealand, you kind of think that this is the, the way. way. This yeah, is the, the only way. way. <laughs> the only way. And so I was questioning everything we were doing. I was like, well, why are we doing like that? Yeah. And then, like, isn't it easy to do it like this? And yeah. then they're like, I can see where you're coming from, but nah, you do it like <laughs> this. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, so I kept asking questions and then I got to the point where I was just like, nah, I'm not even going to bother. And so yeah. let's, just, let's just do it. Yeah. And it was all right, you know, like, um, like we, were, we were kind of punching above our weight for in a couple of seasons. So, but uh, I do think that it could, we could have done things better. Mm. Mm. And then why did you return home? What, what was the reason to return home? You'd made your money? Yeah. Well, um, there was a few things going on. Um, the old lady got a bit sick. And uh, you're like 30 hours away, 30 something hours away yeah. over there. So, we kind of started um, uh, an opportunity to come to go to Melbourne, so we we signed there. Then I'm only a couple of hours away, so that was a big big part of the reason. And then from there, we just ended up coming coming back to New Zealand after that. We kind of yeah, we've done what we want to do. Got a heap of travel, mm. you know, we could see the world, and um, at a really good time too. So 
Melbourne was good. How was Melbourne? How was Melbourne Rebels? Was, Melbourne's awesome. Yeah. Rebels, Rebels was awesome. I was there for the first year. And, uh, oh, was this the very first year of yeah, the Rebels? Yeah, the first year. And, um, mate, they spared no expense on that year. It was funny. <laughs> we had all these dinners and, like, we were like, what's going on here? They shouted the whole, all the families out to this resort and That's everyone's right. into it. And no $20 dinners like oh, here. No $20 dinners, <laughs> man. It was like $20 drinks kind of things. It was just, it was insane. True. And we were all kind of like, is this the way it is? Yeah. You know? Like, is this Australian rugby or something like that? But apparently no. And then um, after I left, I was talking to the boys, how good is it? And they're like, mate, they've tightened it right up. <laughs> So, um, no, I think we got spoiled that, those first couple of years. But we had some real legends of Australian rugby too that they had like Sterling Mortlocks and Rob McQueen was the coach and um, Al Campbell. There was quite a few boys in there that were like Wallaby legends. Mm. So they had to kind of like look after them and yeah. treat them really well. I, well you know, and it was the first time it was in Melbourne too and Melbourne's like a pretty cool city. Yeah. And they would have wanted to do it right. New stadium, new everything. Mm. So was the first... Um, yeah, Amy Park. Mm. So it was awesome. What was um, Sterling Mortlock like? Mate, he's, he's good dude. Yeah. Really good dude. He's he's out there though. Is he? He's out there, snorky. Yeah. So, um, but just on the field, super intense. Yeah. And then off the field, just not not who you'd think you'd oh, be talking yeah. to. Yeah. Oh, no, true. but awesome dude. Like uh, they all were. All the Aussie boys was really good fun. And what other Kiwis did you have joining that first um, year? There's a few, eh? Yeah, Kevy O'Neill. He was there, Yoda. So I forget a couple. Um, few, oh, but there was like Gareth Dalve from Wales. He oh, was yeah, there. Yeah, Mike yeah, Lipman. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was there. Um, and then they got a couple of leagues in and stuff. So Jared Safi, he was playing for St George Illawarra at that yeah, stage, and sure. he was in there. It was, it was a bit of an eclectic bunch. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, um, Mike Lipman saw a um, video on him the other day. Actually, that was pretty sad to see what he's going through with his. Dementia. Did he have any signs or anything of it nah, early earlier on? No. Not at all. Eh? Like Lippo was he was a he was a good dude, man. Like really awesome team man. Um, hard case. Could see the choppers on him. And uh, but he was yeah. I'm, oh, it's just sad. Yeah. Hearing all that. And, you know that's something that's starting start to become a bit more apparent too now. Yeah. With you or no? How do you? Well, how do some, you feel sometimes, about it? Sometimes I feel like it is. Yeah. You know? Like uh, it's. I don't know. I don't know, like we when I was playing you kinda you did you got a knock and if you could kinda shake it off then you're good to go and you yeah. keep going. Yeah. Sometimes I think you know, like when I think back, shit, I should have walked off the field then. Mm. Like knowing myself that I wasn't right. Yeah. But you kinda you wanna keep playing. Yeah. And then even after the game you're not right but you'll kinda hide it so that you get to play the next week. Yeah. And I think what they're doing now and the players being more aware of it. I think it's it's awesome mm. because it's a big issue mm. and we've got to look after ourselves and, and players got to look after themselves. So hopefully we can they keep making progress in that area too to kind of make it more safer. Mm. How many concussions do you reckon you had? Mm. <laughs> oh, heaps. Yeah, well, I reckon I had a few. I reckon I had quite a few. Um, Over 20? Yeah. Yeah, I reckon. easy. Yeah. 50. Well, I don't know, 50, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I should be laughing about it. But it's, um, yeah, oh, it's an issue. It's an issue, but hopefully they get their, they get it right and, and we can look after the players to, so the game's a bit safer for them too because yeah. we want to see all the boys out in the field. Like we had some issues with it this year with the Marco. And, we had heaps, eh? What was uh, it, like 14 concussions yeah, or something? crazy, eh? 
Crazy. I think we can coach coach it a bit better. Like me looking back, I reckon we can. Yeah. To try help them out, help the boys out. But it's um, it's a it's a it's a physical collision dominated game. Yeah. Sometimes the boys just aren't going to get it right. Hey. What is the key to avoiding it? Obviously, there's a, there'll be a few rugby players listening to this, so you could save about a thousand lives <laughs> just, just from this advice. No, oh, oh, I reckon I reckon you've got to get your tackle technique right, and I reckon you've got to. There's something you train like we. And we do. We tell the boys you've got to get in front of people. You've got to stop them, win the game line. Um, but I think you know they can. The more they work on their tackle technique to get that right, the safer they become. And you're not always going to get yeah. it right. Like that's just that's just the contact sport. But I think the more that we can, the more that we can train good habits and tackle technique. Yeah. Um, clean out the same. Yeah, yeah. I think the better off the the boys will be. Is there a trend that you've seen from players around? Their technique, which has caused the knockouts, I don't know, might be dropping the head yeah. or something like that. I, 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 don't I know. think that's a big one. Dropping like boys, kind of like they spot a guy, they get in front, and then they just kind of duck and just go. Yeah, yeah. And like once you once you drop your head, you lose sight of the of the guy you're trying to be trying to tackle. Yeah. And if he moves a bit, then you're not going to get it right, and yeah. you might not get it right by swinging around him and hit someone else, or he runs straight into you. So yeah. I think the the longer you keep your eyes open and your head up. The better you'll be. That's it. Yeah, I've honestly reckon. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, talking to a couple of boys, and I was quite surprised to, that they didn't like when they watched it, like on review. Yeah. I asked them for their thoughts. I like, was there anything you can do better, and they were kind of, oh, now I've, I've done everything perfectly. And I go, do you reckon you can keep your head up a bit? <laughs> like, oh, never really thought of that, but you know, like, yeah. I know it's, it's it's something that I think can be taught from a young age too. I think even the junior coaches. First team coaches, yeah, yeah. they've got a responsibility to the players to help them be better in that area. Mm. Well, you're teaching the masses through the podcast. This is, oh, the, yeah, this is the way to save the lives. <laughs> <laughs> but then from the Rebels, so you did one or two years at the Rebels? Just uh, one, year, one year at the Rebels and then come back and I and I jumped back in with, uh, I was a wider group member with the, with the Hondas, but I was about 33, 34 then. Still feeling good? At that stage? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I felt, I felt good. I felt fit. But the game was, like, when I came back here, like, the Rebels was okay, but when I came back to the Hondas, man, it was so fast. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Was, and then the expectation on tight forwards and, and the, you know, like, yeah. what they need to be doing. I was like, holy shit, like, yeah. this is really, tra- this has really changed. And but I've, I've really enjoyed it because it, I've I think the game got a lot simpler. But but man, the expectation was unreal. It was you know, and so, that's what it is now. It's just getting yeah. more and more. So was it way faster from when you left? You reckon with the you know how you're talking about those quick taps and all that? Do you think the game really sped up, or did what you going over there? You sort of changed your pace because you're playing a slower I, brand, or I, I think it was a bit of both. Yeah, I think um, I, I definitely got a bit older, and I, I didn't feel as quick as, as when I came back as. When I left, I was fit, but also the, I just felt the game is just getting faster and faster and faster, mm. and the boys are getting bigger, and it's just it's it's I don't know when it's going to stop, man. Yeah. It's, it's wicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, mate, watching some of the boys training and how we like making them shift around is yeah. an expectation. Yeah. Wow. How do you reckon you'd go now in your prime? You'd still dominate. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, mate, oh, oh, I don't know. Like, oh, oh, I look back, I look back on on my career, and and I think, you know, because I was a bit of a late bloomer, 
I don't know if I would have played pro rugby. I reckon I would have just kind of gone through the cracks and oh yeah, yeah, you know, like because you know, boys get picked at nineteen years old yeah, now to play yeah. this this game and like play Super Rugby at twenty. Yeah, you know, there's getting and if you're not in that system, it's you know, hard to get in. Eh? Hard to get in. Hard to get in. And then obviously the the big moment of your career. Um, the heart attack yeah. on the field. So this is when you were playing for Southland. How old were you? Must have been what, 34? 34. And it sort of, what What do you remember about it? Talk me through it. Um, what do I remember? I remember there's a little blo- big blackouts from that day. Um, I remember warming up for the game. So I don't really remember the trip up or anything like that or going to the ground, but I remember the warm-up. And then during the warm-up, Cabbage and Whopper decided to chuck a bloody contact drill into our warm-up for some reason. <laughs> I was like, what? And then so I'd done the first drill, and it got banged in the head, and I was like, oh, this kind of got shaken up. And then so I'd looked around, I was like, oh, no, nah, I'm out. Like yeah. I was saying, I walked over and looked over at the um, post, and his Tim Boy's doing his leg swings, as he always done when there was a bit of, <laughs> so I walked over with him and I looked at him and I was like shaking my head and he's like, oh, I'm not going near that. So it was just the forwards actually that were doing this. And then um, so we started leg swinging on the post and then um, I remember playing and we had a really good, we had a really good um, plan. So what I mean, we had a really good plan around the line-out D and it was working against counties in the semi. And then about oh, a bit into the game, I remember playing just been really out of breath. Yeah. And then got to a line-out, and I was just like, oh, come on, man, like, you're fitter than this? Yeah. Like, what's going on? And then um, and then done the line-out, and then we were making our way to uh, the next ruck, and then someone dropped it, and so I was kind of halfway there, and I was dropped on my knee, and I was like, oh, man, I feel shit. And then the doc come on, said, what's going on? I said, oh, no, it's, I don't know, I just can't breathe. I just can't breathe. And he's like, oh, you got a head knock? I go, nah, I haven't got a head knock. I just can't breathe. I don't know what's going on. And then he's like, oh, oh, we'll take you off for a head knock. And I was like, I was kind of getting wild. I was like, yeah. no, I haven't got a head knock. I yeah. just can't breathe. I just need to get my breath. And then um, and he's like, oh, no, I can't. We'll get you off. And then I stood. I'm like, no, I'll be right. And I stood up and I went to walk to the scrum. And then just, that's it. That's all I remember. True. Mm. Collapse. And then I woke up uh, a couple of days later in a hospital with wires all hanging out of me and just, Kind of looking around like, what the hell's going on? A couple of days later. Yeah, so they put me into a, from what I've been told, so on the field the uh, paramedic was there and it was all the stars kind of aligned, all the stars kind of aligned for me to be still here talking to you. But um, then the paramedic kind of got me off the field and then something wasn't right and he was trying to, he was trying to figure it out. And so he just, he just thought, oh, shit, I'll just put the pads on him, see what happens. And I said, shock him. So he shocked me. And then they were doing a bit of CPR on the sideline. And then they got me in the ambulance. And then there was a paramedic there that put me into a coma, got me to the hospital, and then I was in a coma for a couple of days. And, uh, yeah, it was like a one percenter. Like, yeah, to still be here. Like, True, one yeah. percent. Yeah, because if that had, had it happened anywhere else, yeah, gone. Like, if I'd have gone for a run up on a hill or something, like that, nah, nah, I wouldn't be here, but... So it's really lucky, and like even the um, paramedic said, because I'll still keep in touch with the paramedic, Gary, if you're out there, and he said, even if it had a, like, everyone said, even if it had happened at another ground or wherever it was, True. 
your chances aren't that high. That's so yeah. scary, eh? Yeah, well, yeah. But it was scary for everyone else. It was yeah. weird. Cause it must I was been scary up. for your wife and oh, kids. Yeah. Well, they were down in the... Like, my, my boys... I had two boys at that point, and one was one and two and a half, and then... um, But she was down in Vicargo. Oh, yeah. And I was in Pukkoi, and, like, when I think about what she had to go through, because she couldn't get up that day, she had to wait till the next day, and then yeah. they were telling her, and then even when I got to the hospital... I still only had twenty percent chance of surviving the night, kind of True. stuff. So it was pretty, pretty manic. Right. But I was having to sleep. That's sort of like, <laughs> everyone's like, "Oh, yeah, how'd you go?" And I was like, "Man, I was, I was out to it." Everyone yeah. else went through all this, and then when I woke up and got told, that was that was pretty tough. But, but yeah, was it literally for you? Was it just fit, did it feel like a sleep? Is that what it feels like? Because obviously you literally died. Did yeah. you, did you did you feel your spirit or anything leave? Yeah. How, how religious are you? Like. No, I'd like to. I'd like to say, you know, have a big story about seeing the light in the tunnel. Met God, yeah, and he said it's not your time. But um, but now I was I was kind of like I was just out to it, and then, but I remember I just remember waking up and seeing um, my rugby manager, Rob Nichol was there, and it was a do- the doctor and. Um, Wife is gutted because she said I woke up and she was there and I remember she said oh, you were talking to me about stuff and yeah. and I was like I can't remember she said, she's gutted that <laughs> she wasn't the first person I've seen Rob Nickel Rob Nickel <laughs> Rob Nickel was there and then um, it was yeah it was it was pretty out of it but you know uh, I went through the emotions afterwards about yeah. what had happened because I was just like shit and they told me oh you've had a heart attack and I was like what no way yeah no chance and then. They were kind of getting all emotional, and I was noticing because then I'd go, nah, no chance, and I'd be like real angry and yeah, like this, and then I go, oh, and then I'd look at myself and I go, what's going on? So yeah. I was like a goldfish for about about five minutes. They tell me, yeah, I go through those emotions, and then that um, have to tell me they said they told me about four times, because sure. I was just my brain was just firing back up, yeah. And did you have any other sort of side effects from it, like initially? Nah, so it was a bit of there was a bit of memory loss. Um, I just had to take it slow. Uh, well, obviously I got a I got an implant in, mm. and it, um, so if it, if my heart gets in a bit of strife, it gives me a shock. But I was I couldn't. So co- once I got that implanted, contact sports were out, um, and then kind of just be aware, mm. be aware really. Do they know what caused it? Nah. That's, that's the annoying part. Mm. So they don't really know. Oh, look, there's definitely an issue, but but they don't really can't really say what causes it. They've they've done it. I've done every test under the sun, but it's just um, yeah, it's just something that I've got to live with. And and I am living with it. It's it is what it is. Mm. Just kind of move on. Has it changed your life? Like, how's it affected your life in terms of what you can do other than contact sport? Like, um, every everything else normal? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I think so. Like I've. Yeah, I, I still try to train and keep healthy and and eat as good as I can. Train to eat is is kind of my <laughs> motto. Um, you know, really pushing push myself to to try. You know, like I can't do like a marathon or like train. To, yeah, I, yeah. I started training for a marathon like, a few years back, and like went for a checkup with the doctor, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, what have you been up to?" And so, oh man, I'm actually trained to, to do a marathon. You know, and he goes. Stop doing that. That's probably the worst thing you can do. It's <laughs> this constant pressure on your heart. What are you thinking? And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So I had to stop doing that. So, yeah. But then, yeah, still, um, yeah, just try to stay active, play basketball uh, over in Boone with a few of the cousins. 
we play in the, in the competition over there and touch and stuff mm. like that. So mm. hasn't really stopped me from doing too much. It's more just an awareness, really. Yeah, are you allowed to get your heart rate up is, or is that sort of something you're trying to avoid? No, I'm allowed to get it up, um, but, but every now and then it just, for some reason it just triggers and I can't get it under control mm. without just stopping. So, so I, I got a shock the other day playing basketball. Just don't know why, I just I had a weird feeling all day and so when I get those weird feelings, that's when I've got to stop. But mm. I enjoy playing, so I'm trying to get past <laughs> it. And when it can't, when my heart can't get back under control by itself, then I'll get a shock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then what happens once you get your shock? It's like a breath of fresh air, like the whole lungs can fill up because when Watch it happens here, yeah, it's kind of like you're, I'm panting. Yeah, you can't yeah, get yeah. a full breath in. Yeah. And then boom, finally, let's say, and then you kind of, but it, it kind of sends you one, so you kind yeah. of, it's like being punched in the chest um, when it happens. But it, man, it feels good afterwards. So you just kind of like, oh, but it sucks because yeah, yeah. you know it's coming. Like now, I know it's coming. Yeah, and I'm sitting there just waiting, 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 and then <laughs> bumper. <boom, boom. laughs> yeah, kind of. But no, it's just yeah, it's just something that just you have to live with. Hey, it's crazy. So, are you under? Are you in any more risk now of suffering a, another heart attack, or now that you've got that in place, are you probably just as safe as a normal person? Oh, I'd, I'd say a neon be. That's what doctors saying. You're neon safer than because if I have a normal heart attack, it will just shock me. Like once yeah, my yeah, heart yeah. slows down or anything like that, it'll just shock me back on or, or something. So if something else is happening, yeah, then I'm okay. But yeah, so so no extra risk uh, other than the condition that I've already got. Yeah, which they don't know, but there's definitely something going on. So what what's the options for the condition? Have they got any ideas what no. it could be? No, nothing. No. So I, I, I go into like atrial fibrillation. So the top chamber of my heart just starts pulsing and flittering. Yeah. And it doesn't get a full pump of blood through the system. So it's just so one time it happened I was years ago, I thought I could get under control. Like I said to my wife, mate, because I got a shock. Yeah. And then I said, oh, if it had given me another 30 seconds, I reckon I would have got it back under control. I just needed to just calm down. Oh, yeah. And then, um, so she went and asked the, the lady that was looking after me down in Vicago because I got a monitor. And um, she said it got up to about 360 beats. Your heart and, did? Yeah. So it was just Holy. pumping. <laughs> so then like, she came back and said, you're an idiot. If you think you can get, get that under control, then you've got no <laughs> chance. So then that's when I realised, like, I've actually got, I have got an issue. Oh, and, yeah. and so it was kind of, a, it was good for me, really. Yeah. Because yeah. before then I was kind of really in denial about what had actually happened. Did you know you had any sort of heart difference when you were training? Obviously you probably wore... Heart rate monitors and stuff. Did was your yeah. heart rate ever no. way over a hundred percent or whatever? No. no, no, I never really noticed noticed anything at all. Really, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I was definitely, I was definitely slowing down. I think <laughs> by the time I got that photo that was up on the <laughs> yeah. on the preview for the potty was um, that was I think one of my defining moments when I knew shit man, my times. Coming around real quick, I remember chasing. I remember that moment chasing Adi, thinking, and I always prided myself being able to catch, especially other forwards, being yeah. able to catch people. And then I was putting it in, and I remember watching the review of it, and then seeing like I was like watching through tape, and I was the review of the game, and I'm putting it in, and he's kind of looking around smiling. That's what I knew, man. It's kind of, time is coming. Shit, mate, Adi, he'd do that to most forwards. Oh, Pretty much any forward and most backs, to be fair. Oh. So, like, you're not alone. But then, obviously, after that incident, rugby was over. 
did you have any plans in place for post footy or how hard was that for you to go from you know instant retirement? Um, oh, I started my last season with Stags. I started kind of going to the coaching realm, um, signed signed back with the Stags, and then talked to David Henson, who was a coach at that time. You know, then we'd, I'd always talked about coaching after rugby, and so kind of went back in as a set piece coach. So started doing that as I was playing, and then so the year after, kind of just fell into it. Mm. But I was working in the marketing department at, at Rugby South and Two, oh, yeah. out there, and, um, trying to trying to sell the dream to the, <laughs> to the local local businesses and stuff. So, but that was that was a good experience too, like knowing actually where the money yeah. to put the team on the field is is coming from. It's not just you turn up and all your gears all kind of always going to be there. Yeah, a lot gets taken away if you're not. Don't have that sponsorship from the businesses. Mm, so, when did you think coaching? Did you know you wanted to coach when you were playing, like early on? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I talked to, before I went over. Before I went overseas, I talked to um, Song Kahane and, and David Henderson about it. You know, because I, I was had a real interest in in how how you can kind of be quite strategic on the field with mm. with and how you play mm. and just certain skills and stuff like that need to be uh, need to be taught or coached and. So I always had an interest in it, and then by the time I came back, yeah, I just kind of fell into it. Really, it was I was stoked. It was cool. And then what was the progression? So you did that one year when you were playing, playing coaching. Yeah. yeah. So that was it's tough. Yeah. It's real tough because you've got to live by by what you kind of <laughs> do and everything like that, you know. So, and then the year after, we'd training the coaching, which I thought would have been easier than what it was, even even the years following down south. Because you're still, still playing, still coaching the guys that you've been playing with. Yeah, and and I've, I suppose I had a bit of a uh, a reputation down there, like you know, with yeah, like I, I always enjoyed myself, especially before I went overseas. Always enjoyed the off-field antics. And, yeah, 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 you know, like with the boys and stuff like that. And yeah. Once you go into coaching, it's kind of you know, you're going to the dark side. There, like it's, <laughs> you kind of try to try to rein all that in, and you kind of question why people are doing it, but then. And they'll find it back. Well, hold on, Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. you, you were with us last like, ten years. <laughs> you've been doing it. So then, um, and then, yeah, and my comeback is always, oh, the game's changed. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, and that was that was pretty tough. And the more, the more you, you keep coaching, you know, the further away you kind of have to pull yourself away from the players, which I found tough too at, mm. the, at that point. Mm. Yeah. So, so those first couple of years, uh, in terms of the of the relationships with the boys, was was kind of hard. Mm. I reckon, and you became head coach pretty quickly too, eh? Yeah, yeah. But three years being assistant, so so one with Goof, oh, yeah. um, one with Dave Henderson, and two with Brad Moore. Yeah, he was head coach, and I was assistant with him. And the following year, head coach, which I think I was a bit, bit naive, going to that thinking, you know, it's a it's a big job, man. Mm. Like it's and it's and I'd only been coaching a few years. So looking back, I was like, man, I reckon that happened pretty quick, yeah. probably too quick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you learn from learn from those experiences as much as you do the good ones. Yeah. Mm. And how was it with the players? Obviously, you were pretty good mates with a lot of those guys. You played many years with them. So then having to have these tough conversations with, you know, uh, changing the culture and these sort of things. I know um, you were great mates with Jamie McIntosh, who's been on the podcast. And I think, was it you who made the decision to sort of – let him go from yeah. Southland, which must have been a pretty tough conversation. Yeah. That was it was really tough, and and, in, and looking back, 
I didn't handle that as well as I could have. And that was, you know, like my, my coaching age. Um, yeah, it was really tough, tough that. And then still to this day, I don't know if I got 100% right or or handled the aftermath right. I, def- mm. I definitely didn't handle the conversation with Jamie Jamie well. Um, and it was, because it was, like, it was awkward, man. Like, it was, it was such a good mate. Yeah. You know, really, really good mate. Um, I played so much rugby with Wapa and, and, um, and just to have that conversation, you know, it was tough. It was really tough. And then, um, and then also with, because um, Jamie was, mate, mate he'd done so much. And mm. then I think I took that for granted about how much he was actually doing with the, the team yeah. and how much he was driving and everything. But then on the other side was no one was growing. Mm. You know, like there was no one was growing because, mate, that all just, no, no what will take care of that in terms of the leadership and, yeah. and you know, all the on-field, off-field stuff, you know, because like, Wapu was all over it. Yeah. And um, and so that's that was kind of part of, like, well, most of the reason why I thought, well, if we can get create more leaders, they're not going to grow. Yeah. I don't know whether I got hundred percent right, but you know that's just you know you learn from those from those situations. How was he in the convo? How was he? Had he handled oh, it? Mate, he was he was he was actually really good. Um, I tried to, you know, like it was it was never about. I think a lot of people thought it was about Jamie as a person, but it was never about Jamie as a person. Mm. It was it was about what what I thought was going to be right for the program at that stage, and that's where I might have been a bit naive in thinking that. These other boys are ready to step up into the into the void that he'd left behind. Yeah, because it was massive, man. Like mm. he was, he's he's Mr. Stag. Yeah, you know? and it was tough. It was tough. He, he like Jamie's Jamie's a really really good human, and he, he'd do anything for anyone. Yeah, and that's why it was tough. Eh? It was tough. It was still tough. <laughs> right? like, it was tough. Yeah. Oh yeah, I even think about it now. I'm just like far out. You know. Like, it's just one of those things in rugby that, you know, especially going to coaching, yeah, you know, it sounds okay until you have to have those conversations with people and, you know, like lads that, you know, you kind of, especially when you play with them, I mm. think that, like being in that situation was tough because I played so much rugby with, with Whopper, like Stags and Hondas. Mm. And then who was the who was the lucky candidate to take on Mr. Stags' role? It was uh, Braden Mitchell, oh, scratcher. the scratcher. <laughs> the scratcher. Um, and he done, he done a really good job. With the tools that, and again, I like that's me as a as a young head coach. Probably didn't set him up as well as I could have too. You know, mm-hmm. like thinking back, there's a lot more things I could have put in place to try. But it was like, mate, like we had a we had a really young, inexperienced team down there, mm-hmm. and it was um, it was pretty tough on scratch. Pretty tough. It was a tough couple of seasons. It's tough, and it must have been tough on you too, eh? Like young coach. What was the what was the um, region like around the decision as well? They obviously all loved um, Whopper. Were they all supportive, or did you cop a bit of heat? Oh, I copped a bit. Yep, copped a bit. But that's this is part of it. Yeah. you know, um, it's part of uh, the game that we're in, and and people are passionate about it, and people are passionate about the players too. Mm. Mate, there was uh, oh, definitely some backlash, and there was some some that just said, oh, "Well, let's just get on with it." Yeah, you know? like yeah. Did you ever question coaching? Oh, yep, yep, yep. A, a couple of those couple of years, especially after it, because I'd done a couple of years head coaching, then went over to Japan. But before leaving, you know, I was like, man, mm. and, and my wife was watching me going through all this. Yeah, you know, it was like <laughs> tough. You know, like those couple of seasons down there. Yeah, and then we went over to um, Japan, and and uh, oh, 
awesome, eh? This is coaching. This is coaching. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like awesome fun. Yeah. Awesome new environment. Totally, because uh, I've been in Southland too mm. the whole time. And I think going back down there and then coaching there, I was, I was still back in that, that bubble. Mm. Um, I think going to a totally different environment, even like coming up here, mm. you kind of, you're away from all that and you, you're starting off a new sheet. Yeah. So going over to, um, over to Honda with, with Danny and, and Craig and all, mate, we had like three awesome years over there with my fan, family mm. and totally different culture mm. and everything was wicked. How did your kids find it? Because they were a bit older at this point, eh? How did they find living in Japan and school, I guess? Yeah, so so they went to Japanese school. So they, by the time we left, they were three quarters fluent in read, write, and, and chat. True, read, write. Right. Yeah, wow. it was awesome. They were really, really good. They've kind of lost a bit now. We've been back for 18 months, but. Um, my girl went to um, the kindergarten over there, so she 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 knew a bit. But they, the first couple of weeks going to school were a bit tough because mm. they went to a school where no one spoke English. That's no, scary. Oh, Must have been scary oh, for them. Yeah, and we were kind of. I was walking away, going, oh, like looking at my yeah. wife, going, holy, sh-, you know, this is yeah. full on for them. Yeah, and so they they gutted through it, man, and then they come out the other side, and they were awesome. But yeah. it was such a safe environment. Like they were walking to school. Every day, for mm. like they walk down the street fifteen minutes. And yeah. Big days for them. They'd be leaving about seven thirty, getting home about four thirty. Like was that the school hours? Big school hours. Sure. Yeah, man. They come home, then they got an hours homework and stuff. <laughs> parents dream. Oh, they get back here, then they're like, like now it's parents' nightmare. No homework or anything like that. Oh, it's, uh, it was cool for them. Cool for the um, for my wife. Um, just cool. It was awesome experience. Mm. I'd, I'd, yeah. And how do you find the coaching? Obviously, um, it's a different rugby, eh? And you're working with different sort of athletes. So, um, how did you find it? Yeah, it's it is different. Um, obviously, the the language the language barrier kind of hinders a few things. But but the more I felt, the more language I knew, the more they understood it, and then yeah. the easier it becomes because you're not kind of waiting on because everything takes twice as long for mm-hmm. any conversation. Um, it, you have to be quite directive in what you're coaching, mm. so you have to have your, the basics really nailed down and the detail around the basics. Um, and they want to know what I do here, what yeah. I do yeah, here, yeah, but yeah. what if this happens? What if this happens? So you kind of and, and we got to a good point where we were kind of we got to the point where we were like, well, that's rugby. You've got to make a decision yeah. about this, and so you teach them the different decisions they can make, and then they got. They got a lot better, mm. and some of the things you just take that decision away from them and just say, "Just do that. <laughs> if this happens, just do that. Just, yeah. just don't let that happen." Yeah, Make and that. they nod and they do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they just get it done. They get it done. The foreigners in the team they kind of like looking at you, questioning like this, and you're like, "Just get it done." You know? like, it was interesting coaching. The, the foreigners were, were quite. Well, we had a really good bunch. Good bunch of lads. Who'd you have? Um, Mano Lameki. Who's a, oh, yeah. he's a, yeah, so he's a, um, he's a lad. Yeah, good dude. Um, Sean Treby, Baden yeah. Kerr, um, Aiden Toa, um, had a couple of Saffirs, Argy Snyman, there's a couple of sorts in there, Matthias Basson. Correct. Uh, yeah, it was good. Matt Duffy? Matt Duffy, sorry, Matt Duffy was there. I'm probably going to forget a couple and they're going to be at me, but, um, Dion Stegman. So it was like a really good crew and they were, they were all in. Yeah. It was a good bunch. So why'd you leave? Um, oh, kids were getting a bit older, and we kind of wanted my boy to. He was going to be starting high school soon, so oh, yeah. make some mates and then and then come back. Um, so yeah, we uh, 
decided to come back uh, his last year of primary school so he could go down to me and make some friends and so we moved back to and that's when we moved back to Blenheim mm. so she was she was all go and did you have any plans when you moved there that was the coaching gig part of that move nah, no nah. so we moved back we bought a property in Blenheim and then um, it all kind of just just morphed into into being here with the Marco, which is so much fun hey, how good oh it's awesome hey it's, it's like it's honestly it's a really really Special environment I got here. Yeah, how's it compared to? Obviously, you've been in a few. How's it compared to other environments? Oh, it's mate, it's right. At, like those have so much. There's just so much fun to be had here. And mm. then, but then once you step across the chalk, it kind of changes, which is wicked. Mm. I think the the culture that the that's apparent is one where they can challenge each other, but still kind of like have a laugh too. You yeah, know? Like yeah. It's, but it's just the energy. Mm. That's the difference, I reckon. Mm. Just the energy that's around, you know, like, oh, this is fun. Mate, you get up and everyone's hoo, yeah. every, every <laughs> meeting, they love it. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, like the way that the S&C guys just do, you know, like um, the week that was, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. for the boys and just yeah. these little wee bits and pieces that they just keep, you know, mm. keep putting time into and it's special. You know, like, I don't know if the boys realise how, Especially, I think the guys that play super, mm. I think they do because they go away to these other environments and and then they come back to this and you can see the enjoyment that they have mm. coming back, you know, when they all turn up. And it's so accommodating. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I really enjoyed, you know, they're so welcoming into environments and you know, it's just, just good fun. Mm. And you mentioned your vineyard, so um, how did that come about? Like, had you ever planned on getting into that? No, no, no. I got... Well, I've got a few cousins over in Blenheim as we talked about. <laughs> that. Um, one of them's uh, quite heavy into the industry, and he uh, said there was an opportunity to buy a, a house because he's always talked about me moving up. And he said there's an opportunity to get a house up here and with some vines on it. So I thought, oh, yeah, give it a crack. And um, I came up and had a few visits over during COVID um, before we went back to Japan, and then yeah, it all kind of worked out. And so we uh, yeah, we just moved back with uh, with a thing that just kind of. Maybe living a normal life, yeah. you know. I didn't know whether I was going to be coaching or not, you yeah. know. Like, and then, and just having this in the background is just chipping away. And did you just learn on the run, or yeah, yeah. So, so that, um, so he he's got his own vineyard. My cousin's got his own vineyard, yeah. so I'd kind of work closely with the guy that's managing his vineyards. And then he'd tell me what, oh, so you can do this, or you can pay someone to do it. So we try to do everything that we can. Yeah, certain things we can't. So they just kind of so you just pay the bills on that and. But it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool. Like, and especially in summertime when all the leaves are out and stuff like that around our house and stuff. Extremely lucky. Yeah. And where does the where do the grapes go? Like, what do you do with them? Do you? I just sell them. So they they go into a co-op um, that produce wine. Oh yeah. Yeah, but they they all our all the grapes pretty much get sent over to the states. Sorry, it gets made into wine here, and then that those go. Goes off. states. Yeah. True. So you can't drink your wine in New oh, Zealand. I, I, yeah. You can. Yeah. Well, no, I've got, I've got a few bottles. I should have bought you one. Oh, sorry, sorry mate. No. I apologise. I'll try to get one. I'll try and sell some. Yeah. Um, but they um, they do produce a little bit, but about thirty percent of that of that group, thirty percent gets sold in New Zealand. Oh yeah. Um, but seventy percent goes over to the states. But yeah, so it's it's pretty cool though. It's like a co-op of all like grape growers that are all buying into into like a team kind mm. of environment, which is cool. So how do you do it when you're coaching? Obviously. You're coaching over here in Nelson, living over in Blenheim. Your vineyard's over in Blenheim. So, how does it all work? You're never over there. Nah, I think most of it. 
Um, the good thing is that it's in the season when it's off, so there's not not a lot I can do during the rugby season. Yeah. Um, but I teach my wife how to drive because I bought a tractor. <laughs> I bought a tractor and then I had to learn how to drive a tractor. So I learned how to drive a tractor, and then this season I've had to teach the wife how to drive a tractor. And so we can do stuff like weed spraying under the rows and stuff like that, and mowing the grass when it needs. And so, man, she's all over it. She's a she's a weapon. Oh, how good! Yeah. So man, it's time to put my feet up. <laughs> What is what is the plans for you? Obviously, um, had Dan Perrin on a couple of maybe months ago, and he told me he wanted to be a Crusaders coach, and he's got that now. So, um, where does Should. the coaching dreams take you? Well, mate, I'm, I'm I'm loving what I'm doing now. Yeah, I'm loving what I'm, and I'm I'm not really looking too far ahead. Well, that's easy. I can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, I don't know. Like everyone has aspirations, and so, but where that is, I'm not I'm not too sure. You know, like um, it's a it's a it's a Fickle old job coaching, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, there's there's twenty something players on the field, but there's only two coaches or three coaches yeah, yeah. in the stands. So, you know, if opportunities come up, obviously I jump at them. But also, we moved back from Japan for a bit more family life, so mm. it'll have to work in with that too. Yeah. So, I don't know, mate. Oh, I'm, oh, I just enjoy. I'm just enjoying what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah, it does get tough with kids, eh? Like, um, if you do get an offer overseas, um, whether it is worth moving the family and, uh, you know, relocating. Like if a Japan kid came up for a couple of years, would you take your kids or how that, how that all works? Yeah. So they're at an age now where it would be quite tough to yeah. take them over, like overseas or something like that, yeah. you know, like, and um, and I know and I know my wife pretty keen to set up roots, but, mm. you know, when opportunities come, as you know, <laughs> um, you kind of, it's pretty hard to turn down. Yeah. So there'd be, be a few conversations and, and and everything has to work into what to what you kind of need. Mm. You know, I wouldn't jump at something that I didn't think was going to be beneficial for us yeah. as a family. It's uh, I almost feel like coaching's a single man's game, eh? Yeah, <laughs> Just, uh, go wherever you want. Or, or until your kids like so yeah, family, yeah, yeah. until they're older, then yeah, finish you know, school. You finish yeah. school or something like that, and you can kind of take off. Mm. So, but, but that's not another <laughs> eleven or so years for me, you know, for my daughter. So. I don't know. It's it's as I said, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. So long may they continue. Mate, and I know Tazzy love having you here. So anyway, as always we've gone to our questions. Instagram has come in humming with questions for Hoon. Uh Tane Robinson sent in plenty. First question is how did you get the nickname Hoon? So obviously it's a common name for you, eh? Everyone knows you as Hoon. Yeah, yeah. Uh I think it was or well, one um, I had a teacher, this is when I was like 11, intermediate, and she, she couldn't pronounce my name, even though I was kind of walked her through it. She just couldn't get it. And so she started calling me um, Hoon for some reason, or Hooney, Hooney or something like this. And then I, I was like, oh, well, it's better than butchering, like, you know, oh, yeah, that'll do. Let's just, and then that's when it kind of came out. Yeah, I had a teacher that couldn't pronounce Hawani for some reason. <laughs> Just couldn't get it, so hoon. And then, and then after that, I think the boys, because even all my mates used to, you know, growing up, they always used to call me Hawani. But then, um, playing sports and stuff like that, it's far easier to say hoon. And yeah, so that was just and it just stuck after that. Sure, really. right, love it. Nickname hoon. Okay, next one. Oh, this one came from Highlanders head coach Clark Dermody. What do you say to Nima Telata after one scrum? <laughs> 
Oh, that was, that was awesome. Uh, so we were playing the Stags. Uh, we were playing with the Lions. Uh, it was well, for the Stags. And then um, we, we kind of put one on them and uh, dominated in the scrum and I kind of hopped up. I started kind of mouthing off at, um, <laughs> at Namir saying, oh, all black my ass and kind of started <laughs> kicking the shit out and then I remember Clark just turned around and just said, shut the fuck up, you know, like, and I was like looking at him like, what, nah, man, you're good, man, we got him. And then I remember just looking at Namir and he's like just looking at us staring wide-eyed and like, okay. And then, man, he put us under the pump after that. And after the game, <laughs> Clark just turned around and said, don't ever, ever say anything to anyone. So that was quite a good, good lesson learned there. Well, Clark, he was under the pump after that. Of course, I'm just behind him, just <laughs> questioning why, why we're not dominating. But, man, push harder. <laughs> right oh, shoulder down, mate. Right shoulder, right shoulder down, shoulder that's down. it. Oh, that's good stuff. Okay, next one. Hardest opponent to tackle. Uh, I played Repenny a couple of times. Oh, yeah. It's manic on the wing, eh? Like yeah. Because I used to find myself out in the wing quite a bit. <laughs> Did you get one-on-one with him? Uh, I, I was one-on-one. He was one-on-none. Pretty much. He just kind of <laughs> ran straight through me. I had no chance. He was he was something else. But um, Sefers are pretty, mate, you knew mm. where they were coming, eh? So mm. it, was, it was kind of just had to man up with yeah. Sefers. I, I, enjoy, I really enjoyed playing Sefers because they just run it straight. Mm. So you knew where they were coming. But it was the big guy, like big fellas like Sione Lawaki, and then where they kind of oh, run yeah. straight at you, and then they can put a bit of footwork or just yeah. throw you around like a rag doll. He was tough. Yeah, he he's was a real big boy. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. Okay, best pro that you played with. You would have played with some pros. Yeah, Clark was pretty professional. Was he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned a lot of Clark, and he, it was weird because he was younger than me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but he'd been in professional environment long, oh, like a couple of years before me, and he was he was right on, eh? Probably could have followed him a bit more. Just <laughs> led a bit more during my career, but he was, he was, he was. Uh, that's why I always knew about Clark because he was right on in terms of, of how he handled himself off the field and on the field. Yeah, always going to be a good coach. Always going to be a good coach. Just real, quite steady and mm. very focused. Mm. So it was good. Clark Dermody, lad. Okay, uh, this one's from Corey Flynn. How? Have you managed to find the bottom of your deep pockets in retirement? <laughs> What's this sort of hack? Nah. Mate, you're always um, shouting the voice. Oh, that's what, that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, you know, trying to dispel that rumour that <laughs> you're being tired. Nah. When did that start? Uh, it's, it started in the, like, well, mate, I'm always one. If it's free, it's me, man. I'm, yeah. I'm on. And um, so, what was the saying? If it's free, it's me and I'll take three. So, um, uh it was always kind of like, so there'd be free beers going along, and man, I was always in free beers, you yeah. know, had a few beers, and, and I remember back in the day, the Valentine team used to follow the A's. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, so, but we'd always be done before then, so we'd always be out before them, and just about every place we went to, they had a bar tab at some place, so we'd find out, <laughs> we'd go to the bar tab. So we were all drinking free beers and stuff like this, and I think they got a bit of grief with us, but I don't know, like, um, it's just something that's kind of come out of nowhere, really. I'm always up for a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> always up for a bargain. You're silly if you're not. Like, yeah. That's my thing. Oh, mate, I've, I've lived under that as well, to be fair. <laughs> makes no sense to pay for beers if you can get them oh, free. Mate, no, it makes no sense to pay for anything if you get it free. <laughs> that's it. You don't want to be stealing, of course, but nah, he's, he's always at me, Corey, about being tight, and I'm just sitting there and just shake my head. But 
Uh, it's uh, definitely a rumour that, that has spread around. And <laughs> I'm trying to dispel it, mate. I'm trying to. Mate, another one from him is, why are you such a drinking game Nazi? And I have seen you in your element in this. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing where I kind of... Oh, mate, I, I enjoy a drinking game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like rules are meant to be meant to be kind of obeyed, mate. It's only, <laughs> so uh, I've always just enjoyed, enjoyed playing drinking games, or any game, really, just uh, kind of competing. And it's always... And it's not just drinking games, mate. If we're playing con games or something like that, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a trainer's nightmare. Yeah. Just add them. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, drinking games has always been been a funny thing. Like, when we were first... When I first started playing, mate, it was massive, you know. And uh, I guess we played quite often and it was a few beers. But I got back one year and then they, no one wanted to play drinking games and I was, yeah, yeah. I was okay with that. Oh, you know, like, like I remember the coach coming up to me... Um, Simon Cahane came up to me and said, oh, mate, the boys don't want to play drinking games. You know, that was a big thing. And now, because now, we were playing super, so we missed oh, the yeah. pre-season stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah, the boys don't want to play drinking games. And I was like, yeah, okay. And he's, I'm looking like, why? Well, what are you telling me? This? He goes, oh, you were the one that, that drives them all. I go, no, I'm not. <laughs> and he goes, yes, you are. And I say, I'm not. I'm the one that will play once someone starts playing. But I used to be an asshole, so we used to play labels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the first, my first drink, I'd always just... Do we label on purpose? Yeah. And I'll sit there and like, and then someone will go, label! And I'll say, like, okay, but if I do it, then we're playing the whole night. And they're like, yeah! And I'll go, okay, then. So then, you know, that's when the game started. And I remember our first, one of the first games away we had, and this was after the conversation about not not um, playing drinking games. Yeah. And so we were sitting at a pub, and then everyone's kind of sitting around, just yarning, like I say, and then it was kind of like, sitting there waiting, waiting. I remember... Um, Few of the boys were like, ah, stuff this, man. Come on, let's just play some games. Let's say, and I was like, nah, 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 I'm not playing. Then sit there, they're like, yeah, no, no, we're on, we're on. And so then after that, you know, I, was, I said to them, I was like, mate, this ain't me. Yeah. You know, you know, but I'm, I am a Nazi. <laughs> I am a Nazi. I'll admit to that. Oh, that's good stuff. No drinking games. Would have been tough. Okay. This probably leads to that one. Best off field story from your time at the Stags. The Stags. Yep. One of the best ones it was Hard Case. It was, um, so we had a coin game, oh, so yeah. um, so we're on an end of season trip to Queenstown. Yeah, the boys on the bus, and then um, we pull at pubs on the way up. And so there was a one coin, it was a dollar coin, and um, if they got if you holding your glass and they got dropped in it, then you have to yeah, chop your glass. And so and because I was I was the Nazi, <laughs> the boys are after me the whole time, eh? The whole time. And so then um, and I was sitting there, and something happened, da da da, and it was and someone gave me a jug. And so, oh yeah, and they go, yeah, just hold that for me. And then I was kind of, and I was, I was kind of, I was a bit half cut. And then so I was just kind of holding it, and I was about to grab my glass to pour it in. And then Whopper come up behind me, <laughs> and had this coin, and he dropped it. And I just like looked at it, and he dropped it, and it hit the rim, and then it fell off the rim, and then it landed in the jug below it. Oh, yeah, sitting on yeah, the table. Yeah. And I just went like that, and I looked at him, and he was looking at me, and then it was like, well, both started cracking up because obviously he has to do a jug. Oh mate, it was it was <laughs> and then so it was but they were all after me ever since yeah. Every every drinking trip yeah. I'm like a bit of a focus for the boys because I'm such a, a bit of an asshole, really. I like that song, man. I'm an asshole but but no, nah, it was it was a good one, but we had so many trips away it's hard to kinda find a favourite. Were you at the um the famous Highlander do? The one with Haskell and Cookie um, and No, I went home. 
So you were I'll, playing that year. Yeah, though, yeah right? I was playing that year. Oh, true. I was playing that year. You're but one I, of the two or three guys who weren't there. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd gone home. I think we had a no, no. We we had a spates thing. And then I, I I took off after the um the do at the spates oh, spates yeah. lounge. Yeah. So I just went home, a bit older by then. <laughs> No time I couldn't hang out with those boys. So, um, but yeah, but the next morning I went, I went and uh, went to the. I think we had the team photo the next day. Yeah, and we were talking to Jimmy. He's like, he's all cut up. And I was like, mate, what's going on? He's like, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. I was like, okay, kind of. Then all it all started coming out, and I was just like, mate, right, yeah, too. But uh, he was like, he's a good mate, Jimmy. Yeah, he's just kind of. Gets a bit of a bad rap on some of those things. <laughs> I think he causes a lot of it, but, but I'll go. I'll put one in for him. Okay, next one. Uh, tips to coming into a high level environment. Um, yeah, like what I liked, liked about coming into Tasman is that they're very accepting of anyone and their own kind of personality. Mm. Um, you have to you have to toe the line in terms of what the team wants and all that. But I think you know, being yourself is is really important. Mm. If you try to be someone else. Sooner or later, you'll get not found out, yeah. but it just won't work, yeah. you know, because you know, like, it's not you. Mm. And so that's what I've really enjoyed about coming into Tasman is that they are very accepting of people in a different way they they kind of operate. Yeah. There's certain things that you have to do, but, you know, like, um, mate, as long as you put the work in and you're doing, doing your job both on and off the field, mm. then that's a big one for me, mm. really. Like that. Okay, next one. This uh, question is from our major sponsor, Swish, uh, one of the great sponsors. Video shout out from any celebrity in the world. Who would it be, and why? Mate, I'm a, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. Michael Jordan, yeah, oh, mate. He's like yeah something else. That dude's kind of a like growing up. Yeah. So if it was anyone, um, it'd be him, the goat. To think that you potentially could have played with him if you, if you, if you went down that journey. I could have held his towel for him, mate. He just wiped the sweat off his brow. But uh, no, he's, he's someone that I've always admired and, yeah. and looked up to. Um, and, you know, look, I, I have an argument with my mates because I think LeBron James is pretty good too. And yeah. he's, he's right up there. But Michael Jordan. Still the goat. Oh, yeah. LeBron's overtaken him, has he? No, man. His it? record's hard to. Hard to deny, man. But he'll be, you know, like people have opinions on us. Oh, that do. dude, that dude, man, like he's LeBron. He's just, he's a, like, well, I think we've had this conversation. Like, my question would be, do you, who's the greatest athlete of all time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, like, I remember. Um, oh, so hard. It's so, oh, so hard, hard to judge. It's impossible. Well, yeah, yeah. But I look at a guy like LeBron. And mate, he's he's broader metallic size, but can move like a ballerina and mm. jump as high as you know, like 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 a physical phenom. Yeah. And you know, like I'm like, well, who could you, who could do? Like I, I try to think, who would be a better athlete than that guy? Mm. I just reckon he's been gifted, some natural talent. So yeah. Hard to deny. That's that's fair. What about someone like Usain Bolt? Like obviously he's just physically next level speed apparently he's quite good at like cricket and things Soccer like that too, but yeah but he obviously hasn't focused on those sports he's just been trying to run yeah. as fast as he can but someone like him he yeah. must come in the conversation he must do yep yep hundreds I've never really thought of you saying actually oh, okay yeah we could probably talk for hours oh, on yeah, <laughs> who the greatest athlete yeah. is of all time it could nice. be the next next podcast but we will crack on because it's more editing for me anyway <laughs> next question <laughs> 
Uh, what's something that you've seen hold back players' careers more than anything else? It's an interesting one. A bit deeper. Yeah. Well, one is how they and – and I I wasn't a saint off the field, but definitely how the, how boys conduct themselves off the field. Yeah. Yeah, like the the game – the game is now. It's getting like when when I was playing professionally, it was like ten less than ten years into being a professional sport. Mm. Yeah, less than ten years into being a professional sport. Now it's what are we into? Almost thirty. Mm. So the game has moved, and so the th- things that you that we used to do back then, you kind of realise now. Shit, man, we're way off yeah. what we were <laughs> yeah. doing. You know, yeah. like what we're putting in our bodies. Yeah. Before and after games and everything like that, yeah. and now, like for me, just you know, if you want to be a professional, you got to behave like a professional, and and it's not just a, a game day thing. It's a like, it's it's a lifestyle. That's mm. your job, and mm. your tools are your body. Mm. So the more that you look after your body and and and, and preparing yourself for that game, mate, it can only help you. So in terms of holding your yeah. back, if you're not doing it now. Yeah, you know, like you and people, people question, oh, how come I'm not making these teams? I'm not making the twenty-three. Yeah, well, the the stats and everything don't lie. Yeah, all your numbers don't lie. You gotta, you know. So I think it's the off-field stuff is holding people back yeah. more than anything. Mate, that's it. I'm still I'm still surprised at how many guys don't sort of you know fully invest into themselves and their career. Like yeah. we've seen it a bit this year, but. Um, you know, you got an opportunity of a lifetime to sort of make a career out of the game and um, to just, you know, eat it and drink it or, you know, it's it's, yeah. it's quite hard to watch, eh? It's really hard. And, I think, and that's, you know, like, especially when you're, you're coaching now and you kind of see it. I think as a player you kind of, oh, no, it's, just, it's, it's like I'm getting paid and yeah, yeah, that's yeah. my job, but, you know, I still get to have fun and, yeah. you know, it's like a game. But, but if you weren't doing that, you'd be – on the tools, doing something. Yeah. You'll be working, you'll be labouring, you'll be in the office or something yeah. like that. And and as I said, mate, I didn't treat it as professional as what I what I should have. Mm. But looking back now, like the opportunities to be a professional sportsman are really small. So mm. you've got to grab it, man. Mm. Like, <clears throat> and the careers, careers are getting shorter, I reckon. Yeah. So the more, the quicker you can grab onto, say, and commit to being a professional rugby player, mm. the more... Success you're going to have, and I, I firmly believe that. Yeah, hundred percent. Love that. Okay, last question. Best piece of advice you have for a Woodland listener? You've already given us a little bit already, so could be good. Well, I think, I think be yourself. I, I said it before. Yeah. Just be yourself. Be true to yourself. And it was, it was something that I've learned, especially coming to coaching. Mm. I think when I first started coaching, I wasn't, you know, for me personally, I was, think I was trying to be someone else. Mm. And I wasn't myself, so I think. Uh, and, I, and looking back, when you, when you reflect, you kind of understand all this. But you know, if you if you're trying to be someone else, then sooner or later you're going to get found out. Mm. So just be who you are. And if it's not doesn't work, well, that it is what it is. Yeah. You know. And then yeah, so that that'd be my my advice. Like that, it's hard as a like as a player. You you know you go from a player to a coach quite quickly. You're yourself as a player, and then all of a sudden, you still want to be yourself, but as a coach, and how that personality has to change, or yeah. whether it does have to change, and yeah. that's I find that like a almost like a grey area as a going from a player to a coach. Hundred percent, 
and, and that's where I think I battled when I was down in Southland. Yeah. Because I played with that group too. I'd gone from playing with them mm. into actually coaching. And then, you know, like having conversations. And it's weird, man, like yeah. having a conversation with a coach. And he's talking about the players. Yeah. You know, the conversation about players are yeah. quite funny, eh? Yeah. Like when you like, switch the side. That's it, man. <laughs> like it's quite. Like direct man, and it was kind of like harsh, you know. You're like, oh shit. What do you say about me? <laughs> exactly. That's what I used to think. Shit, man. I remember like a situation like that. I'd be involved in that. And, man, what, were you like that with me? Nah, nah, nah. Like, yeah, right. But, you know, like, and that's the part that I think is really hard, you know, to, mm. to be yourself still in that, in that arena. Because obviously your your perspective changes mm. on, on how you treat, especially when you're going to coaching and stuff like that. Yeah. Your perspective changes on players and how they should conduct themselves. But mm. if you can be yourself, it's a big one. That's it. And, mate, what an episode. One of the great episodes of What a Lad with the great Hawani McDonald, who has had some career, I mean, Dying on the field, unbelievable <laughs> story, mate. How you've uh, gone through your career and played for all the teams you did, had a successful uh, career on the field, and then post footy as well, coaching. It's been it's been a privilege um, coaching with you this year with um, Tasman, and thoroughly enjoyed your company and um, working with you. So, um, looking forward to following what's next for you, and hopefully, plenty of more success around the corner. Thank you, mate, and it's been a pleasure working with you too. Um, very welcoming and, and the whole group really that's why I've just loved my time here and thanks for having me out here and mate, thanks for this. coming out to the studio absolutely first, first potty done <laughs> love your work what a lad what a lad what a lad